0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to Scholars at Play, a podcast dedicated to the critical discussion of games and their place in society and the academy. My name is Derek Price. I'm Kyle Romero. This is Terrell Taylor. And welcome to a very special mailbag, mailbag. episode. Mailbag! Mailbag! Today, we're taking your questions that you have sent us. Uh, we put out uh, We put out a little call for questions, but we also just received some really excellent unsolicited questions, and we wanted to just sort of talk through some things that you've asked us to talk about. Um, yeah, we're going to read y'all's first names. We don't want to dox anybody. <laughs> but uh, um, if you are interested in sending in a question to have us sort of chat through something, you can always send those emails to scholars at, play podcast at gmail.com. You can always, always send them to us on Facebook or other social media stuff too, but Gmail will definitely see
1: it. So uh, I'm just going to kick us off. With, I think we should mention first oh, that yes. we did not make these up. Oh, yeah. two things. Yeah, one, I was pretty sure we were going to have to make all these questions up. But that was actually the plan. Our fans, yeah. Our, yeah. our fans, our, our international fans our, came out big. <laughs> this is true. It is we had one in, internationally, but I'm taking it. It counts. Um, oh, and uh, uh, also later in the episode, we're going to have a little game show. Yeah. and so stick around for that <laughs> and Terrell's gonna be doing I don't know what that is all the music work for it Mortal Combat. is that what it was oh <laughs> uh, that's what more. yeah it what it Wheel of Fortune oh cool um, it has a theme song <laughs> no Wheel. it just opens in oh. silence <laughs> Fortune <laughs> <laughs> it just cuts to the guy and like Vanna White walking out Like, I think it's time for our first question
0: okay <laughs> This one comes in from Sophia. Sophia sent in a lot of great questions. How do you decide what games to discuss? I ask this because you've featured more free or older games and fewer AAA titles, which is cool, but I wonder if this is intentional. Excellent question, Sophia. Wonderful question. Um, so I think we've talked a little bit about this on earlier episodes, especially during the Civ episode where like, Civ 6 had just come out. And we had sort of debated internally about should we do the newest game or should we stick with this older version? And one of the things influencing how we make that decision is um, thinking about like longevity and also sort of accessibility mm-hmm. to the games we're talking about. Um, obviously, we've sort of stepped—you uh, know—we we did we did the Switch and we did uh, Breath of the Wild, a very a much newer platform, a newer game. But by and large, we've been trying to pick games that would be cheap or easy to acquire for, uh, you know, basically anyone listening. And, you know, if we ever do get to use the, these in a sort of pedagogical sort of university setting, any sort of teaching setting, uh, we want to make the games that we're, we're sort of uh, addressing, you know, accessible to a, a, like pretty much almost anyone who has like a, a computer from the last five, six years. Um, so that's that's one thing that goes into how we choose choose which games to to pick in terms of AAA versus indie versus yeah. older games.
1: And I think there's some contingency too, you know, in that like we're still, you know, operating with just the three of us, uh, mostly for kind of deciding games. You know, we've had our, our guests come in, um, but for the most part we're kind of the ones figuring out games. And so we mostly pick the ones that for us that we've played, you know, and that have given us, or at least we've heard about, that have some kind of could have some academic uh, – produce some academic discourse, you know? And so we're at that now. Again, open for suggestions for episodes as well. Definitely, yeah.
0: Yeah, I think that
2: there is something of a switch that we've made recently. And in part, we have to admit that we've we've been somewhat contemporary to a certain degree. So for example, I actually um, gave a talk this morning uh, at a classroom on Asian-American literature about the Game Papers, Please, in order to think about immigration and the fact that we did that on January 28th a yep. day after uh you know Donald Trump's um, executive
1: order it was the day of the the it, was, well, it actually happened that yeah. friday right, right? it right happened right? late on friday oh, night and okay. we heard about it saturday morning oh that's true. right okay. or to yeah, be yeah, to be right. fair yeah.
2: like the the proverbial fecal matter <laughs> the fan <laughs> really hard that saturday yeah yeah um another it became a there. big deal exactly yeah. right. exactly um so There has been some intentionality there in terms of placing things that are going to catch some buzz. And to talk about a game that had just come out with the Switch, I think, was also kind of... So I think that between the contemporariness of what's going on in games criticism or the game world or (laughs) the game scene, if you will, versus the uh, contemporariness of politics as well.
0: Yeah. And the other thing is that a lot of other podcasts that deal with games... Are associated with journalist outlets, or or they're in th- sort of enthusiastic uh, enthusiast podcasts, like fan podcasts, or, or just a group of people who just want to get together and talk about games, and um, which is great, which is awesome, yeah. yeah. No, it's super good. But w- we have the luxury as academics to not have to sort of cover the most the newest games, nor do we have to cover the biggest games, right? So if you work at a Polygon, a Kotaku, a Waypoint. Um, you can sort of shift your coverage focus, but you're ultimately going to mostly be playing new games, games that are coming out right now. And those outlets have ways of, um, you know, they they, have, they do really great jobs of highlighting like indie hits and like non-big budget stuff. But we, I mean, we're not beholden to that whatsoever. And so we're really, like, I, I feel like this is the opportunity that, we, opportunity that we have as just sort of academics. Um, we, we're free to go as old or as new or as... Well known or as obscure as we want, um, as suits our research interests, as suits our intellectual interests, as suits our yeah. political climate. You know, that's, that's yeah, to be choice.
2: fair. We do we do look at the things that are going on on, t- on Kotaku, Polygon, etc. Um, I think on Twitter a few weeks ago we were sharing an article on a recent game, Shadow of War, and you know, I, I think it'd be interesting to see how as we move forward, whether or not we want to develop a more um,
0: Sustained conversation with outlets like those. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. How about another question? Terrell, do you want to read? Great question, Sophia. Yeah, great question, Sophia. How about the next question? Terrell, pick whatever question looks good to you.
2: Will you ever do an episode on an MMO slash MMORPG slash multiplayer game? Who's, I, this, who's this one from? This is from Sophia
1: still. <laughs> Sophia. We have more questions from not Sophia, too. We do.
2: We, sh- we do. Uh, I think all the games you've discussed have been single player, right?
1: A good question. I think that's right. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. They, S- S- like, g- they have multiplayers. Like Civ has multiplayer. Right. Uh, Bi- not Bioshock. Bioshock yeah. 2 did have a multiplayer. Yeah, it that had, it had like a PvP. Lived. Yeah, and it was not a good idea. Yeah, actually, they have all been single player. Yeah. I think, you know, I mean, I've probably I've put a- I've probably put the most time into MMORPGs out of all of us. I would say that's fair. I'm a recovering World of Warcraft <laughs> junkie. <laughs> My name's Kyle. <laughs> Hi, Kyle. Thank you. <laughs> um, and I <laughs> thank you with the gong. I'm not sure if you could hear the gong, but the gong. We, was we have a gong for every uh, every mailbag question. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I-, I think it could be kind of cool to do an MMORPG. Um, it seems to me though that like it. it- I'm not sure if that difference between, like, a single player and an MMO is that important because you could look at a game like um, uh, Super Rocket Battle Cars, Super Powered Rocket Battle Cars, is that what it's called? Rocket Battle Cars. Rocket League? Rocket League, yeah, but it was Whoa. originally called Super Rocket oh. Powered Battle Cars, wasn't really? it? I thought it was when it came out originally for the PS2. Maybe? We should oh. do some research to make sure these are the same. Right? <laughs> <laughs> okay, Rocket League. Rocket Let's League. say Rocket League. That's also an MMO. And then there's, like, World of Warcraft. Destiny 2 is an MMO. Yeah. Um, and so I think there could be something interesting to say about like d- differences in form of like an MMO versus a single player, but maybe like overlaps or continuities or breaks. So one thing that that I've thought about a, a lot about this is um,
0: in game studies research. Those multiplayer games like WoW have been the most well researched kinds of games, and it's drawn a lot of attention from departments like sociology, anthropology, people who are interested in the social. And so these games provide really interesting opportunities to discuss the social, and so that I think is one angle that we could take on it. But there's another thing that I that I thought about. Um, we've referenced Alexander Galloway plenty of times. Uh, one a- thing, Alley G. G. Excuse me. Yeah, we should we should really stick a yeah, stone brand was with that.
1: Supersonic acrobatic rocket-powered battle cars. And that was Rocket it was a League. game. I, I don't. I'm not sure if it's related to Rocket League at all, but it's like the, it's the same name. thing. Phenomenal name. It's a good name. I'm sorry. Back to Alleg. So there's this thing about that Alexander
0: Galloway says at the end of his sort of gamic uh, – the first essay in that book, Gamic Action for Moments? That sounds about right. Yeah. there's yeah. At the end of Alexander Galloway's Gamic Action for Moments, he mentions how his sort of diagram of, like, player and machine sort of doesn't catch the social. And I wonder if there's actually, like, a really productive and interesting way of thinking – like, really, like – about the formal qualities of games, about that sort of medium specificity, uh, where intent and meaning are very different when there are multiple people working on the sort of same object or involved in creating or discovering or uncovering the same text all mm-hmm. at the same time. So, I I think we're all so we're all sort of playing Destiny Two right now. Yeah, and.
1: all three of us stop (laughs) they're lying well you've played it on the ps4 terrell's computer's having problems so he's not able to play with us it is
0: rough it is bad we have a goal of all playing destiny 2 Mm -hmm. and of 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 any mmo like massive like online multiplayer game that's maybe the most likely one that we might get around to saying something about so i think A couple of things.
2: You know, one game that's coming to my mind that could be really interesting for us to talk about would be Journey, which is a game that the first time I ever played Journey, I did not play it multiplayer. And that was sort of in a moment where the PS3 kind of gives you the option of whether you want to sign into PSN or not. The PS4 doesn't really do that. Sort of turning on the system is also turning on PSN. It's kind of hard to be able to play offline. In fact, I think they only put that in in an update that came out maybe a couple of years ago or maybe Mm. one year ago. Um, But the way that that game... Deals with sort of online interactions and uses the kind of multiplayer facet to do a couple of things to be really interesting. Second, I also think there's something about the kind of MMO, MMORPG structure. Where there's things like shaders or, you know, custom things that you can sort of buy to upgrade your character. Not even upgrade them, but sort of more cosmetic things. And maybe we could have an episode just dedicated to thinking about that. Like create your own characters. Exactly. That, yeah. Just sort of cosmetic yeah. fact of sort of expressing yourself there. Like Tony looking Hawk at too. a number of
1: games. We start with Tony Hawk 2. Boom. That'll be the start, right? Seminal. <laughs> Wasn't that like the first game to put a character creator in what, it?
2: It? No. it? Was it? No. No? It most certainly game? was not.
1: It was like... like a thing, though. That they added the character There, creator. there was
2: character creation, and in, and in, I um, guess in like Sims and stuff too. Right well, there. well, even wrestling
1: games had character. Oh, creation that's true. Yeah, for sure. That. I guess it was the first game I played. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Wasn't it the first thing ever, or yeah. maybe it was just the first thing for me? <laughs>
1: Kyle, why don't you take us away with another question? All right, all right. We have a question here uh, from Kate. Uh, yeah, it's a long one, but stick stick with us. Okay, it's a uh, good one. Kate writes. As a fan of horror, mostly, I'd argue that a lot of the pleasure of watching a horror film is the lack of control. I'm going into these movies knowing that I'm about to be manipulated, to be scared, through jump scares, atmosphere, music, gory visuals, whatever. What happens then then, when the genre of horror movies to the medium of video games, where the player has significantly more control than in a film? In your opinion, is the pleasure of being manipulated into being scared lost in this experience? Wonderful question, Kate.
0: Very good question. Um, obviously I think this is somewhat in relation to our, uh, the conversation we had about Until Dawn on our on, on the eighth episode that we've, that we've done.
1: I think – I was thinking about this one for a little while. Sure. And uh, something we mentioned when we were playing Until Dawn, I think it was Derek. Uh, you said something on the lines of like the game really strives to take agency away from the player, you know? Um, and initially that was my answer to this question was like, well, a horror game I would assume then – is going to do anything in its power to make you not an active agent, you know? It'll give you two options instead of infinite options, right? It'll restrict your movements. It'll restrict your ability to run, restrict your options, things like that. Um, but then I was thinking about it, and there are, you know, other games like um, Bioshock, Prey, Dead Space, like games that incorporate horror elements but are first- or third-person shooters, you know, are, are, are shooters, Um, And so I'm thinking maybe a horror scholar would probably be better at this, but there are like multiple types of horror, right? I think there are multiple types of horror games. And so Mm -hmm. a game like Until Dawn, which is kind of more choreographed and relies on you participating in like um, actions in order to fulfill consequences, a game like Prey or Dead Space is more kind of about building an atmosphere, so that no matter where you are in that atmosphere, even though you have a gun or a you know a, an arc welder or whatever it is in dead space, um, you are in the atmosphere all the time, and so you're constantly faced with the horror moments. Uh, but it doesn't have to rely on like a really heavily choreographed movement.
2: Yeah, so there's a case to be had that one of the worst things to happen to uh, the Resident Evil franchise was Resident Evil Four. <laughs> um, Resident Evil 4 is a great game. It is. A number of people will say that it's absolutely incredible. It's the one that I've probably played the most of, in part because it made it a kind of shooter. There's like an action element to it. There's like a, I can forget how scary the zombies or the monsters or whatever they are, are if I'm able to just sort of, you know, kill them at the end of the day. There's that empowerment thing. If you go back to Resident Evil 1, 2, even 3, or Code Veronica, the very fact that the tank controls, which are not fun... <laughs> ways to control things the fixed camera the conservation of bullets and even I think Resident Evil was the game that you know and usually like if you look at like any save game that I had back when like cartridges or save yeah memory cards were a thing I will sometimes save three or four times in the safe place right Resident Evil said no you have typewriter ribbons and if you want to recklessly save, it's going to cost you. You're going to have to you know, think about what it is that you want to do. So there are a number of ways in which you know, this kind of question of agency, your enfranchisement, there's, it's all there, but putting a, a price on it and making you really sort of think about how it is that you are controlling or doing whatever. I think it's not so much a matter of agency, no agency, control versus no control, but what does it mean to kind of be disoriented or to have a, a different relationship to agency than you usually have?
0: And there's also... I, I, I agree largely with both of your points as well. Um the, the question of control and whether or not you actually have more in some sort of shooter game. So like there's a lot of different ways to do that shooter game, right? Like the Bioshock is an eerie sort of setting. But yeah, you, so you're more kind of drawing on the tropes. Right, exactly, exactly. That, yeah. And and you always have plenty of ammunition in yeah. Bioshock. You know, you're never going to be in a situation where you run out of that stuff. <laughs> but I, I would argue maybe there's maybe we could make this argument that games sell or sort of promote a, a sort of fantasy of control but in a lot of ways the player is not under control right in, it, in video games more than any other kind of game like so taking board games as an example you don't have an a, often unless you have like a a mod installed or some sort of like console commands you can't change the mechanics of a game you just have to submit yourself to them basically so, Game designers are very careful in, like, big shooter games to make the mechanics feel – make you feel like you're powerful and in control. But in the, the the truth is that's totally supported by a ton of work that the, the computer sort of doing for you to make sure that you're uh, – you know, that you feel like you're in control. The fact, though, that you're actually very much re- reliant upon the computer to sort of give you power over the thing, to give you power over the camera, to give you uh, – easy control of your avatar or to give you sufficient resources provides an opportunity to actually take quite a bit of control away from the player then actually. So I feel like that's a way to Kate's Kate's question is like, I think somewhere in Kate's question is do games actually goof up horror because they give you too much power, too much control? And I would say certain games maybe are just want to do the tropey sort of like, oh it's eerie, it's kind of a weird atmosphere. But other ones are like, totally playing with how much control they let you feel like you have. Mm. So I
1: really, really wish it's all did. an illusion. I'm sorry. It's, no, it's yeah. like, it's, it's like, no, I'm saying, but like all agency Basically, is an illusion then and yeah. it's whether how much they're letting you see behind the curtain of it. Right? I think mm-hmm. I think there's a lot That's of interesting game designers that would make that argument. Yeah. I'm sorry for interrupting you.
2: Yeah, no, no worries. Um, I really wish we had a chance to play PT. Um, yes, gosh. And we may have to, uh, PT, was it? It's kind of a prelude to a Silent Hill game, maybe.
1: Okay, I've, I've, I was making faces. Them I don't know what PT PT <laughs> PT. Go ahead,
0: Terrell. I I th- mean I think it was it was I think it was in part designed by Hideo
2: Kojima. Yes, and there was a demo that was available for it for the PS4 at some point in time close to its launch, but then the game got canceled. Mm-hmm. But there are a number of people who have PS4s. Who downloaded it, but then immediately disconnected it from any type of network network <laughs> upgrade? Because the minute you upgrade it, it will delete it yep. because it's no longer recognized by the store. So there are probably you know somewhere online, I think on eBay, a number of PS4s that have it downloaded, but cost a ridiculous amount of money. Mm. Yeah, and I don't know. Maybe there's a way that we can figure out. Well, well.
0: Wow. We'll explore our options. (laughs) Yeah, like
1: getting the game required like an emergent (laughs) gameplay. Like an emergent understanding. Like, okay, we can't update it. That's like when you like download a ROM. I've never torrented anything in my life. Neither have I. I never would. But if I had, Mm -hmm. you'd have to download ROMs and you have to like read the instructions. Like, okay, let it update, but then cache the old file to this one and then draw that. (laughs) Yeah. Again, I've never By the way, that
2: will totally be the title
1: of... Kyle's memoir I've never if, I had,
2: if I had downloaded a ROM
1: <laughs> yeah the stakes are much lower for me <laughs> yeah um,
0: PT would be fantastic and, and, and I, mean, I think it does so many really interesting there's so many things interesting about it it's just you walk through this hallway over and over and over again and there are slow little subtle changes and then like sometimes there's a voice sometimes there's something that gets you know sprayed with this red color or there's some thing lying in the bathtub um, but the the way that it just sort of has this tight little space and forces you through that over and over again. I mean, I, there, there's so much we could dig into on PT. Yeah. I think we should find a way to, well, to talk about it. We, can, we to can play and
1: talk about PT. T- tickle the keys, as, as <laughs> Thrill said. Yes. <laughs> yes. Right? Like the keyboard keys. You've said that before. I have. Yeah. has <laughs> Th- Th- been known.
0: Sure, he that. wanted to claim that for himself. Oh, it's loud now. All right. Question four. We've got a question from Colleen. And Colleen sent us a great little a link to a video. We'll include and it in the show notes. Yeah, we will. And uh, here's what Colleen said to us. I watched this video on YouTube, and the YouTube uh, video is The Unfulfilled Potential of Video Games. That's by a channel called Pop Culture Detective. And this video is criticizing the lack of creativity in gaming in that the great majority of games base user interaction on combat wanted to hear your uh, your guys thoughts about the about this idea in the video is this criticism valid is there a good explanation for it it being this sort of implied lack of creativity
1: or variety in in video game design and so you watch the video it's great it's like t- a 10 minutes long yeah. very very thorough yeah um, but just to, to summarize really quick basically what the guy did was he looked at e3 which um, is you know a big gaming convention held every year where every kind of studio releases its big A games and you looked at the presentations at E3, which are kind of the biggest moments. And there was 132, I think, something like that. And 110 hundred like ten of them, hundred and fifteen, like eighty-five percent or ninety percent were all uh video games that were violent or uh based had had combat as one as their main mechanic. Um and so he was just basically kind of going into that and saying, like, what does this mean? Why is it like this? And then he kind of proposes at the end that maybe we should have games that don't focus on combat as their main mechanic. Um, And he gets made fun of all the time on Twitter for this saying like, oh, should we have a game where like we make enemies cups of tea? And he's like, that could be kind of cool, you know? (laughs) Or what about a game like where the focus is diplomacy or on conflict de-escalation? Or you're an intergalactic space farmer and you have to decide on crop rotation? Or he's like, all these games take place in post-apocalyptic wastelands, right? So what if instead of Killing everyone in the post-apocalyptic wasteland. It focused on like community building and rebuilding society back to its former glory. Um, yeah, so just kind of proposing, hey, maybe we should kind of shift the tone of games, which are so heavily focused on uh, combat and violence as it, uh, ways of interacting with the world.
0: And there's, I mean, I think we're all sort of invested in an answer that says something like, "Yeah, that's true," but, um, and I, I but I, I, and I do want to first give him credit, which is that like. If you look at major film shows like the the Oscars or other sort of major prizes for other like media, for other literature, media. that kind of stuff, there's a much greater variety of thematics, of, of uh, formal techniques, um, uh, of, of different subject matters. Um, so in a certain sense, I see what he's saying and and I, I can so, somewhat agree with like, man, I, I also too wish – that these, that this, uh, you know, the face of the industry, these really big, big productions had a little more variety to them, but I think we sort of discussed this a little bit amongst ourselves, and we feel that there is, there's a lot, there's a lot of things I think that are producing that E3. One of those is just the history of games, yeah. and since I, I had a, we had a conversation with a guy at at a conversation uh, at a conference this past weekend called Haystack. And he mentioned
1: uh, – it was just – The put conference it, was called Haystack, not this guy. Right. Sorry. Yeah. I actually can't remember his name. And if he's – if you reposition. are listening,
0: you listened to our first episode and you said some really good things about it. I can't remember your name and I don't think you gave me my car, uh, card. So just send me an email. Um, he, he said like, you know, um, ever since the crash of games – marketing about games from like the 90s on is basically it's a boys club it's all you know it's all for the boys it's all this like the violent tropes i mean that's where the sort of uh the sexism of the industry has some of its roots certainly not its only causes and not the only thing sustaining it but that historical sort of uh momentum is nothing isn't so easily discarded yeah um another another thing to think about is that uh games just like other forms of cultural expression reflect and take on the biases and ideologies of societies in which they're produced and you know just like there's a bunch of action films there's a bunch of action games and also there's a certain sense to which there's an americanness to a lot of these games as well like the gun culture that we have in the u.s and the military history that we have um is no small thing and it, it it shouldn't be surprising to us that You know, there are these, all these, I mean, there was just recently, um, God, this is going to get dark, but there was recently a mass shooting um, and, you know, in Texas, in Texas, like 27 people were killed or something like that. I believe,
1: yeah, but there's a lot more injured.
0: Right, exactly. So tons of people uh, killed or injured in this. And now there's, every time one of these things happens, there is a, you know, a ton of articles like showing how statistics about how many, just how many guns are in the U.S. like versus other countries. It's an obscene number of guns, like 270 million guns or something like that. Um, it shouldn't be surprising that a cultural object like that uh, sort of bears
1: yeah. bears out in leads in into our, the games, yeah. yeah the exactly. culture Shapes it. I think you know something that I was thinking about with the video, which again I, I think was great, but <laughs> um, right. I thought was really good. But uh, it seemed to me, in the kind of implicitly, there was a comparison with older forms of media, right? So I immediately thought of Ian Bogost, who says like, you know, gaming. What what book is that in? Uh,
2: this was, the, this was the online persuasive article, I think. Oh, the article. Persuasive games? Or are we talking about games are better
1: without narrative? I think it was actually Stories. in that. Or no, was yeah, it I, in I'm the I'm thinking book? of uh, persuasive games. Okay, it was uh, in – yeah, he said – yeah, right. Yeah, he yeah says where he talks persuasive about how, games like, too. you know, v- video games have yet to kind of break away from the mold of older forms of media, sure. you know, and so that we're still kind of bound in those processes, you know. And as a counterpoint to myself when I thought that, I said, <laughs> oh, but, like, what about, like, the Oscars, you know, like – I mean, I'm thinking of the Oscars, you know, very rarely do movies that are like heavily violent win at the Oscars unless they're about World War II. Uh, then they win yeah, all the no Oscars. Or Lord of the Rings. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, but then I think, responding to myself again, I'm not crazy. Um, <laughs> I think the better comparison to something like E3 is probably something like Comic-Con. Yeah. You know? It's that same kind of like presentation-centered, these kind of like... Like you said, it's the history of presentations, right? So this growing like convention and fandom as being acceptable and promoted in society has led to bigger and bigger and more gigantic and expensive presentations. Where like mm-hmm. a marching band came in to present like right. God of War, and you're like, <laughs> yeah. what? I don't. Why is this? Happen? Like we hired a marching band. Yeah. There's um, something like Comic Con, right? Where mm-hmm. it's not only comic movies anymore. I mean, I saw some. There's a, there's a really good example. What was that movie with the first person? Lucky. No, hmm. Henry, hardcore Henry, hardcore Henry uh, was, was was debuted at Comic Con. That's like a first person movie about like this guy just like ah, ah, like punching and stabbing everyone like yep. in a game, you know, and that comes out at Comic Con is debuted, right? And so there's that same kind of culture I think promoted there, and I think that's probably a better reflection of the biases and culture of our society and like the patriarchal values, like objectification, the ways violence is reinstituted and reconst- reconstituted within uh, media um it's probably a better comparison than something like the oscars or um the emmys or something or some uh, sort of literature prize yeah. or something yeah and i just like think that. there is there's no you know there's no counter example in gaming like there there probably are ga- there are there are gaming awards you know um but there i don't think there's any big conventions or celebrations of like nonviolent games you
2: know <laughs> it's all very
1: decentralized
2: yeah, in exactly. terms of gaming awards right like there's Maybe IGN or Kotaku's top picks at the end of the year, and the fact that it happens at the end of the year, and use a calendar year to decide it rather than no, this event has so much gravity that it becomes yeah. the way that we structure our year and structures yeah. our awards is very important, in part because, you know. What's so funny about most of those end-of-the-year games is that they end up having to, and this is all funny because we're thinking about doing a, a kind of Game of the Year episode. So, um, <laughs> We are. They end yeah. up dropping. So, for example, I think it was in 2012-13, that, um, or maybe 11-12, that Far Cry 3 mm-hmm. ran into a bunch of big problems and didn't win a bunch of Game of the Year awards in part because it was a holiday release. So everybody had already had done their research, and by the time everybody was able to review it and be able to play it enough to say, "Wow, this is really sweet," everybody had already picked their games. So that's like you know just kind of interesting thing there. Um, I also have two other thoughts to throw into this. Um, actually, I think Derek, you want to throw something in there real quick? No, okay. go right ahead. <laughs> My mistake. Um, I think this idea of combat is very thick, yeah. um, and maybe includes maybe too much. So Mario jumping on a Goomba. Yeah versus um, Samus shooting a Metroid and then Soap or McTavish shooting- Stabbing someone in the heart. Right, or doing He does make
1: a difference in the video between like cartoon combat and regular combat, but it's still like of the 80-something percent that is combat, it's only like 8% that is cartoon combat. This is true. So it's still overwhelmingly like- Striving for that realism, like the aesthetic of realism in combat. Okay, so the, you make, I think it's a good point, though it's the, not. It's not all the same. Not all combat is is equal. Right?
2: Sure, yeah. sure. So the the question of verisimilitude there. I guess the other thing for me is, I'm thinking about two games in particular. Um, one is Shenmue. And the thing with Shenmue that I find particularly fascinating is that yes, combat is a thing in that game, but if you go into that game, even though it's about, I think. I want to say it's about Kung Fu, right? The, the Kung Fu artist, a Kung Fu martial artist. Um, and there's times where you can go into a sort of book of martial art techniques and train in them. But, like, you'd never see him train until the very end. Mm. And most of the interaction with those systems is through QTE events. And then, while it's still violent martial arts action, it's more like sparring or watching someone do kata, which isn't really combat in the way that you want to loop it in there the other yeah. ways the real combat in the game doesn't happen until the very tail end mm. um the, the mass interaction in a game like that is very different than you'd otherwise think and another example that i was talking with everyone here earlier about was uh mass effect 3 and i won't spoil it for those who haven't played it but i will say this there are two races in mass effect 3 the quarian and the geth and this is throughout the entire sort of Mass effect franchise Um, And there's a moment in Mass Effect 3 where there is a decision that can decide how those two groups interact with one another. And you can, based on your Paragon score or whatever, it can lead to, that puts diplomacy on the table in ways that it was not prior.
0: Yeah. I think it's time for a little
1: interlude. (laughs) Kyle, you have something prepared for us. Oh, indeed I do, Derek and Terrell. Set us up. What do you have for us? This is the first edition of Scholars at Play. The Game Show. (laughs) (laughs) We didn't plan a song. We're just, yeah. I Uh, sold the Wheel of Fortune song. Yeah. All right. So I thought it'd be fun (laughs) to, uh, we're talking about, you know, games and game culture and our knowledge about games. I thought it'd be fun to, to test our knowledge about games. Um Particularly, uh, what the highest rated... I'm I'm looking at Metacritic.com. What the highest rated uh, games were of the past four years. And we're going to get Terrell and Derek to try and guess them. I'll leave some space for you guys at home to write in your answers and just email it to us. Exactly. We'll trust that you didn't hear the answer. Yeah. Um, For those of you who don't know, Metacritic is a review aggregator. So it takes all the reviews online, both user scores and uh, professional reviewers and critics, aggregates them together. And so I went back to 2014 and I'm going I'm to turn turn the screen away so these guys don't cheat, um, <laughs> and looked at the top uh, three games from each year. Uh, so I'm going to start with you guys. 2014... And if you guys can't even think of a game for 2014, I'll give you the options, and you have to guess the top I'll one. probably need options, but yeah. 2014, I might have something. I will yeah. say, too, that uh, Metacritic does something kind of weird where it grades games depend uh, based on their uh, platform as well. Mm. So I only did uh, whatever the highest score from on any platform was of a game. So, like... A game like, uh, I'm not going to read it out. Let's say like Far Cry 3. It's not on here. It came out in 2013. Uh, Far Cry 3 was uh, on the PC and on the PS3 or whatever. I'm only going to put whatever it has the highest score on. All right. 2014.
0: Hmm. So this is like Shadow of Mordor year. I believe so. And Wolfenstein was that year. Maybe. And... Doom. Oh, Doom. Doom, Metal Gear, Doom Five came out that year. No, that was twenty fifteen. That was twenty fifteen. That was twenty fifteen. All right, uh, twenty fourteen. Derek, your guess for twenty fourteen. Gosh, uh, I think actually I named all twenty fifteen games. Uh, I'll just say Wolfenstein. I don't think it's right though. Terrell, <laughs> I'm trying to think of what even. <laughs> okay,
1: let's let's try this. Can you give us?
2: No, but actually. Let Tur- wait.
1: Let Terrell guess, okay. and then I'll give you the three, okay. and you have to guess the top okay. one. Sounds good.
2: I am gonna go for. All right. Dragon Age Inquisition. Uh. You're both I wrong. Think, yeah.
1: Uh, <laughs> I, I knew I was wrong. But. All right. Let's all hear all some right. options. Here are the top three games of 2014. You tell me which one is number one. The Last of Us Remastered Edition. <laughs> Dark. I, I gave that one a, a, a separate one because it was remastered. It was re-released for every kind system. Kind of crap. It, yeah. 20, all, right, all right. All right. It's Dark Souls 2. Oh. Oh, wow. <laughs> Grand Theft
0: Auto 5. Oh, it's Grand Theft Auto 5. I think it's, it's got to be GTA 5. <sighs> yeah, sure.
2: GTA 5. Actually, no. I'm going to go with the, the Last of Us just because.
0: Just <laughs> Which one is all it? All right. Derek is correct. Whoa, it's Grand Oh, yeah. I mean, that's just like the best-selling and highest-rated game for like three or four
1: years. <laughs> I'm sorry I made you so mad, Terrell. <laughs> I tried. This was hard, all right? I, I tried that, to put I, this together for my friends. I think okay. all
2: those games came out in 2013.
1: Oh, it was released in 2013. Yeah. Huh. Okay. Right. Well, that's fine. Metacritic eye to me. We're playing the game as I'm well, playing well, the game. Well, I'm, fine, out, I'm fine, fine with that's, playing whatever It's actually
2: kind of interesting because it shows you that the launch of the PS4... <laughs> was not stellar. Not super great. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Not a whole lot there. Do you have another one for us? Yep. All right. Okay. right. Let's do twenty fifteen. got a couple more. 2015. Oh, 2015. Okay. 2015. Yep. We're I'm doing moving, We're working our way towards it. I thought that'd be a little this easier. Is I have definitely a tiebreaker easier. too if okay. we're, if we're tied 2015. On Okay. 2015, <laughs> I already know my guess because I guessed it was a 2014 game and it wasn't. All right. 2015. Metal Gear 5. Because okay. I think the Metacritic people I... think that game is really good.
2: This is only fun if I go contrary to him. Like,
1: if we we,
0: we go the same way. Of course it is.
2: So I'm going to Trump. I see your Metal Gear 5, Uh and I'll raise you a Witcher 3. Oh, that's tricky. (laughs) Oh,
0: I might be wrong. I think Terrell just won that one.
1: I could have lost. All right. Did we get it? All right. You guys ready? Yeah. Watch it be Fallout. Both are in the top three. Okay. One of you got number one, and one of you got number two. Okay. (laughs) I want to say. I think Derek got it.
0: I do think it's Metal Gear. Derek is one. correct. Yeah. Metal Gear Solid yeah.
1: 5, Witcher 3, The Wild Hunt is uh, second. And 3 is kind of interesting. If anyone wants to take a stab at number 3. What do you think 3 is? That was good. You guys killed 2015. Yeah.
0: I I, I I don't think it's Wolfenstein, but that is the year Wolfenstein actually came out. Um, What else came out that year? I'll just say Wolfenstein, just as a guess. Do you have any number ideas? 3. You don't have to. You already
1: crushed it. <laughs>
2: it wasn't Battlefront.
1: Oh! Hmm. Arkham Knight. No. no. Journey. Really? Journey. Got a 92 wow. on Metacritic. Yeah, wow. For what year? 2015. Trash! Released for the PC. That game came out <laughs> in 20... 20- oh my God. But it was the highest rated of its time. Okay, anyway. We we'll move on to 2016. Down further. <laughs> He's getting mad about this Man. one. Man! <laughs> so All right. just so y'all know, I
2: know I've told y'all I'm going to do a bunch of blogs and I've got a bunch of drafts sitting on my desktop, but you are going to get a earful I'm sorry. text on... Remastered games, okay. all because of this game show. <laughs> I'm trying, Thank trying Kyle. Kyle.
0: Kyle, I want you to know, I really appreciate this. This is really Thank fun. You. I have <laughs> not much invested because
2: in you won both rounds on some
0: <laughs> <trash>.
1: <laughs> All right, the score stands: Derek at two points, Terrell at one point, I, audience I, members I, at eighty million points. <laughs> yeah. what did I win? It's mostly because I have a tiebreaker and I want to do the tiebreaker. <laughs> all right, good, good. <laughs> okay, 2016,
0: 2016, B- 2016, so 2016,
1: 2016, 2016. Terrell, get centered. Do, 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 gong, do, 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 do. Like the Pokemon? Gong, do, gong, (laughs) do, gong. It started as Seal, then it evolved (laughs) into a do, gong, uh, on. Now let's just list some games, because I can't even think of a game. Um, uh, yeah, this was a poor year for games, I'd say. Also, like the world. 2016 was. Yeah, a
0: poor it year. was bad. Dark. What did I play? I played older games, is what I did. Yeah. I played, that's when I played Metal Gear. That's All when right. I played. Well, oh. What, what, what's what's All right, one?
1: Terrell's giving his guess.
0: Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Dishonored 2. Okay. Oh, yeah, that's probably Derek. up I, there. I
2: don't think it placed.
1: Derek?
0: Um, I don't final, actually. Final I, guess. For some reason, I can't think of anything. You that's know one weird. of them. And I <laughs> also <laughs> don't think. Sorry, that Dishonored was a bad two. clue. That was a bad clue. It might be when we played. Infinite? No, Infinite came out earlier than that. I don't know. I just let's go with Terrell's. All right, give me give me the top. Drum two. roll.
1: Uh, you're all wrong. Yeah. <laughs> okay, Dishonored Two right. is good, but it I'm didn't gonna get give that you well. the top four. Okay, because one of them I think is nonsense. Okay, cool. Uh, all right, ready? <laughs> out of the park baseball. <laughs> 2017, which was released in 2016. Whoa. That was, Whoa. Okay. Yeah, it's on the top three. That's this, fascinating. This is why I'm giving you four. No, no, okay. no this is good. I, like that. Uh, I love that. You Tell me
2: that Out of the Park Baseball beat Dishonored <laughs> 2. Out of the Uncharted. Park Baseball?
0: <laughs> I've never heard of that game before in my life.
1: <laughs> I, I, I had to click it to look. I was like, okay. what is this thing? It's weird. Okay. Um, okay, Uncharted 4, A Thief's End. Oh, right. Oh, of course. Oh, darn it. it. Tomb Raider. Yeah. Inside... Oh uh, wow, 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 wow. And Overwatch. Oh, it's Overwatch. Top okay, so those it's are the top four. Okay. Okay. okay.
0: I think Overwatch is number one. Uncharted. Uncharted is number two. I would say <laughs> because this baseball <laughs> thing is like fucking me up. I bet it's number three. <laughs> and then the fourth
1: one would be um what was the other one? Inside. Yeah, I'd say inside's number all four. All right. Drum roll. Gong roll. Uh well, I mean none of you are all right, but uh Terrell is correct. Uncharted four. Was number top, one top rated game of twenty sixteen. Oh shit! Oh yeah, yeah. It's it's You know, yeah. Overwatch was fourth, and I was like, I have to include Overwatch. Yeah, Whoa. I mean, it was tied wow. with. Tied out. Of the, it's wow. tied with out of the park that- baseball. <laughs> <laughs> but, they, but they rank. I'm pretty sure they rank them within the like uh like it had like ninety one point zero 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 eight or something. like oh, Out of the park baseball. So was All
2: this right. like the highest? Like what?
1: What? What? What Yo. are we counting? All, All right, right. episode. Like <laughs> All right, I just want
0: to let you guys rated? know right now. Next episode, out of the park. Out of the baseball. park baseball. We're finally doing a sports we're doing game, it. it's and we're out doing out of the park the baseball twenty seventeen. There's <laughs> um, no way. All right.
1: Um, I-, I was going to do twenty seventeen, but I feel like it'd be too easy. Can you just say them right now? Well, it's it's, it's,
0: it's PUBG or it's or it's Zelda. Those are the only two real contenders. All right. True. I get. Yeah. I mean, let's, uh, let's, let's
1: let's do twenty seventeen
0: for real. Okay. Twenty seventeen. Horizon is a, is a big contender. I
1: have the top three so far.
0: Uh, oh, there's a so far.
1: Okay. So far. 2017 isn't over yet. But there. I do
0: think, I think Zelda is number one, or PUBG, I don't know. Huh, I wonder which one more. Probably PUBG, because, well, not more people can play PUBG, because that game is so intensive on your PC. I'm going to go with Zelda. Zelda's right. my number one, for now. True. Currently.
2: Yeah, I think it was Zelda.
1: All right, uh, you are both correct. <laughs> both number one has, like, nice. I think, a 97. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, there's a second one, just came out recently, for the Super Nintendo Super Mario Switch. Odyssey. Mario Odyssey, Mario Odyssey, Odyssey, Odyssey also 97. Yep. And then number three is a game we talked about uh, just a few days ago that I'd never heard of before in my life. Oh, uh, uh, called Persona Five. <laughs> oh, Persona Five. Yeah, oh. yeah, yeah, yeah. Ninety-three yeah, yeah. on Metacritic. I actually um, I've never played the Persona games, but I thought a- about
0: playing that over break, but I don't know.
2: Okay,
1: yeah. so I forgot how many points we have. So it's a tie, <laughs> and we need to do a tiebreaker, which is I went back to the year that Metacritic was created as a website, nineteen ninety-six. Oh wow! Okay. And looked up the best games of nineteen ninety-six. Okay. Let's hear it. Can we
2: can we can we can we get a like a I have the
1: top five. Okay, okay. All right. Can I get a year review um, of
2: nineteen ninety six though? Like that was that <laughs> It was, was the grade. Clinton years. Everything was great. I was winning I was I was, I was I was learning cursive. <laughs> I was seven so like... years old. Uh
1: um, y'all know my um, name all right. So it. just uh, I will say nineteen ninety-six was probably one of the best years for video games to ever happen. Hot take. <laughs> Hot take. <laughs> ninety-six. It's like nineteen seventy-nine. Like Tron comes out, the first Star Wars comes out. The oil crisis, Reagan was elected. Just really good things, you know. Awesome stuff. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Didn't
2: Alien come out?
1: All right, 1996. Let's get let I, I have it. all five, so just guess one. Okay. And okay. and then I'll and I'll read all five. Deal.
0: All right. Uh oh. Um. I have no idea what okay. came out in '96. You have to you have to give me a <laughs> list. okay. Let me let just let give me, us a list let of let five. Me ask you one. this. I'm gonna okay. ask two questions. Okay. okay.
2: 64 PlayStation,
0: a thing or no? Uh. 64. 64 is
1: out. Is PS2 happening? Um, at this point, 96 I, I don't no, think no dude no 90, dog, the PlayStation 2 wouldn't come out till at least 2000 I'm not 2000. sure there are any PlayStation games on this list
0: oh so, okay so 64 maybe there are mostly 64 64 and PC oh okay oh uh, no this is too early for Half-Life Half-life was later. Yeah. Half-life was not a thing so, until the PS2.
2: Did. All right. Give me give me
0: one guess. One good guess. Super Mario 64. Okay. Yeah, is that that might be it. I would go with gotta uh something else, Donkey there. Kong 64? Nope. Wow. That on didn't the... come out until the expansion And do you pack think that's like a
1: 95 t-shirt. on on Metacritic.
0: <laughs> Donkey Yeah, no, it's A <laughs> <64. laughs> uh, Benjo- yeah. Benjo-
1: it's gonna hurt. DK. Donkey, Donkey Kong. Huh DK. Donkey Kong is here. What? Okay. All right. Beautiful. Um, probably okay. our best musical uh, This break. is probably our best episode. Uh, <laughs> Super Mario 64 is correct as number four on the list. Okay. I'm going to read up from the bottom, and you're going to be like, oh, wow, 96 was a really good game for years. Yeah. All right. At number five comes Wipeout XL. Phenomenal game Ooh, for the N64. Out. Yeah, yeah, Anybody yeah. yeah. I remember it? Wipeout. Super Mario 64. Number three, Diablo. Oh, shit. Yo. 1996. Oh, shit. Wait, that's three. Quake? Oh, number two? Egg. Okay, okay. And Civilization two as number one. Sweet. Wow. <laughs> what a good year. And I just had, as, a, mm. as a quick heads up, 1997, I also looked up. We, we can end the game now. Yeah. 1997, Final Fantasy VII, Ooh. Castlevania Symphony of the Night, and Duh. Goldeneye. Wow. All come out oh, in wow. one year. Wow, that's a really good. How crazy is yeah, that? that's very, very good. So,
2: <laughs> I'm going I'm to throw one more thing out here. 2004, GTA San Andreas... Metal Gear Solid Three, Halo Two, wow, and Half Life Two.
1: Oh wow! Oh shit! I didn't know Halo Two and Half Life Two came out in the same year. Yeah, they're both PC. so seminal. Wow. Half Life Two, though, I would I would imagine would be number one out of those. I can yeah, we can look it up.
0: For next time on,
2: <laughs> I, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna bet against you on Halo Two.
1: <laughs> All right. Yeah,
0: that's tricky because it's a console right. release. Let's check it now. All right, let's find it out. Let's find yeah. it out.
1: Um. Wow. Half Life Two. Ninety six. Number one. On Metacritic. On Metacritic okay. and then Grand Theft Auto San Andreas and then Halo Two. You've gotta be I kidding think,
0: me. I think this I, I, I think there's actually something interesting about this game, not only in that it was fun to do. But it does show that there's something weird about me- how Metacritic does its thing, like how Very it compiles, <laughs> how it compiles
1: and aggregates its scores. <laughs> yeah, yeah, unless not now that I'm salty. looking at it, it might it might just be organized alphabetically within the, <laughs> the points taken. <laughs> so let's just call it a tie. Well, okay, everyone. I think it's
0: time for our next question. Um, here's a here's a spicy one. This is our international question. That's as much as I'll say, from Ryan. Uh Ryan says that he is a he's in his second year of uh game design school. I'm not going to say the school so as not to dox him. Um but his question is an interesting one. It's a hot it's a hot question right now. Do you think the inclusion ooh it's hot Terrell just sizzle. Do you think the inclusion of loot boxes, loot crates or boxes is morally wrong especially in games suitable for a younger audience? And Ryan gives us the example of NBA 2K18 as just an example. I think there are plenty of possible examples we could think of. I have thoughts, but I would love to hear
1: y'all's first. <laughs> I don't I don't have many thoughts on That's this. Fair. I think, like, I mean, microtransactions, right, like, they're bad, right? I think we all agree it's just late-stage capitalism, you know? <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I have a friend who plays a lot of FIFA, and, you know, he, looked, he was looking at his bank account, and he spent, I think, upwards of, like, $500 on, like, packs, which I think is kind of the same thing as a loot crate, you know? Because it's, like, <laughs> yeah. 2 dollars and he would pick one up every day and do these. And I would, look, I would be, like, y- you have a problem. You know, like, this is, like, addiction. It's just tapping addiction centers in your brain, right? So that's kind of – I haven't thought about this a lot, but that's kind of my take is, like – especially maybe for children who don't understand, like, consequences and money and things like that. But it's a tough thing, and it really is – you know, it seems like it's the future of society and the future of gaming, but – yeah, I'm not happy with it. So I, I,
0: I think the, the question here is really, is this like a moral ethical question? And his specific, you know, Ryan's specific question is about children. And I think that's mm-hmm. where, that's one way to approach this question that makes the consequences really yeah. important. And if it is the case, and I think that it definitely is, I don't think it's a secret whatsoever. It's obvious <laughs> that these games make use of gambling logic. Like games, these are games of chance within broader games uh, that rely on a random chance that you get a big, shiny thing. Um, the fact that these are unregulated uh, and and children are constantly being exposed to them is just, like, period immoral. Yeah. It gets... I, I, so, to answer Ryan's question, I think we all would agree. I don't know, Terrell, if you want to add anything else. I don't know if there's much more nuance to be had here. Like, yes, it's immoral. We Like, there must be some form of... Industry-driven regulation or government-driven regulation internationally to to stop this—it's just a bad thing. Um, the question of like how evil, how morally wrong are loot boxes? Period, or like for other demographics, I think becomes a more interesting and stickier question because um, take for an example—I think TF2 was uh, eventually settled on because like, t- everyone talks about TF2 and hats. And how TF2 popularized the sort of cosmetic uh, uh, DLC, the, the cosmetic loot crate kind of a thing. They started with weapons. You could you could you could actually buy different kinds of loadouts and stuff for your for your characters. Um, but like the I think the quintessential thing that people come back to is like okay, loot crates are fine as long as it's aesthetic. And in in a, in a sort of like thinking realistically, thinking about designers getting paid to continue to keep a multiplayer game going so something like tf2 has ongoing costs that it has to offset like you have to pay for server support you have to also like keep people interested you keep releasing content um that kind of a microtransaction is a way to make the game continue to be profitable and i more i'm like okay yeah i i sort of see how that works um one thing – so I, my really hardline argument, which I don't have a lot of faith in and I wouldn't really ever use seriously, is that like that inherently implies it, – it gets us back to this, this debate or non-debate that we kind of started with the first episode, which is that when we say that aesthetics, that visual aesthetics is extra, we set up this logic in the player's brain – that gameplay, mechanics, yeah. how the shooting works, and your stats are more important than how anything looks. Yeah, And that's obviously not true because no one would buy hats or or cool shaders if they weren't desirable, right? I mean, they, they are desirable. We want our character model to look cool. We want the coolest looking gun. We want a skin for it. Um, So my really hardline argument is like, Actually, (laughs) I don't even like it when it's aesthetic because that just sort of it it sets up this it sets up a logic that that ludology narratology actually kind of plays on. And I I think there might I'm sure maybe people have done this. Maybe they haven't. Maybe they don't think it's that fruitful. But like maybe there's an interesting line between that ludology narratology debate and the sort of aesthetics versus gameplay kind of like decision about what what gets what what should be extra what doesn't count or what is fine for for loot boxes so my thought
2: there is that in the difference between something like the chance to get a better loadout or a better weapon versus the chance to get, you know, a really cool looking hat there is no way to take the loadout for something like a hat and then make a case for the purple hat is objectively the best hat right so when you when you go to get the um, the sort of loot crate for the quote unquote cosmetic changes, it's very similar to getting the kind of mystery flavor of the airheads, right? You know, if you get a good flavor, it's like, wow, this is really great. But like every person would probably have a different sense of what the quote unquote best flavor is. So that kind of raises something; it makes it harder to make that gambling comparison, I think. That being said, I think my resistance to loot boxes, and there have been moments where I've bought things that are kind of loot box-esque. I think um, in the Mass Effect 3 multiplayer, I bought maybe one or two just to try and get a better loadout from time to time. But it, it raises this thing, and it, it, it's a big question for games and game studies, but I think one of the better examples, and I can't remember which um, instance of the NBA Finals it was, but LeBron James was playing in a, a stadium where the AC was not working well. <laughs> and it had a huge effect on, you know, his sort of bodily condition and his ability to perform. And there are a number of people who are walking around saying, well, now every single, you know, studio, stadium or whatever is going to take advantage of that. It's like, oh, LeBron's on the court. Let's turn down Dr- the AC a little bit, it up. right? You know, he can we can play at 75 degrees today yeah um and to me and i've had a number of conversations about this in in, in board games and, and other things where there's things that you know aren't really game mechanics per se like you know for example if i put my if i put a card in my hand in a certain position and then someone memorizes that position and then takes the next turn and says ah i'm gonna take that card because i know exactly what it is there's nothing in the rule book and nothing in the way that people talk about playing the game that makes that a thing Right. So now I have to like say, all right, you're going to pull from me. Well, I'm going to shuffle my cards and then tell you pick a number and then you get to pick from the bottom or the top, you know, number two from the top. And it's just like, you know, what can we have a place or space for the game? And those are the those are the variables that the players have to manipulate, operate from, so on and so forth, as opposed to expanding it to this other thing, like how much disposable income you have to pour into something. And that somehow has an effect on the various sort of pieces of the game. If we want to preserve that ludality neratology distinction for whatever reason, I think that something about loot crates, you know, opens up the game space to something like my bank account. And yeah. that's just ugh. Yeah. <laughs> Not really bad at Yeah Yeah.
0: And there are let me put it this way. I am for understanding the boundaries of the game to be very porous and to bleed into those things. Mm-hmm. But that's just an example of how it's not like a preference. It's like obviously the case that your life bleeds into the game. And in this instance, it's a moment where your money is being extracted from you. Basically. Right. I,
2: I will also throw this in. It's, we, we can't ignore the fact that the very fact that the three of us were able to buy, and in my case, unfortunately, buy twice. <laughs> although I did trade a number of things in to, to buy it for the second time. Um, Destiny 2 at a $60 price point is, you know, that is already a demonstration
1: of those porous boundaries. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Sure. For sure. All right, next question? Yeah. Oh,
1: also, I did look it up, and Metacritic does not do it alphabetically, so I, I did actually do it right. <laughs> 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 the games were listed in the right order. Okay, good. Uh, yeah, even if my rules may have been a little BS. <laughs> what was this?
0: No, I, I liked the rules, to be fair. <laughs> Thanks, Derek.
1: <laughs>
0: that baseball game, we got to
1: play that Yeah, Out of the game. Park. Uh, <gasps> what was it called? <laughs> out of the Park 2017. Baseball... Please. Never heard a day in my life, <laughs> yeah,
0: Ryan. Of the park well. Thank you for that good question, Thanks, Ryan. Yeah, uh, that's good. Terrell, why don't you read the next question? Pick, pick. A, we got a couple left. We got. Yeah. Let's do there. a lightning
1: round. Yeah,
0: maybe. <laughs> okay.
1: All right, we'll keep it to two minute, one minute answers.
0: Yeah, sure.
1: <laughs> um, so
2: this is another one from Sophia. Is game studies a real thing at universities now? What do you do? <laughs>
0: That's yes. <laughs> yes. Kind of
1: is the answer. Kind of.
0: You know what? I'm going to use. I'm going to keep my answer short and use a sort of thing that we learned from this Haystack Conference this past uh, past weekend. Um, one of the presenters made a distinction. She was talking about DH, Digital Humanities, and there's a big question for that as well. Is it a discipline? Is it a methodology? Is it a series of objects? Is it neoliberalism? Whatever. Uh, <laughs> Everything's neoliberalism. So, um, her distinction was: we have in the institutions of, of DH. You know, we have the the, fi- the funding sources is essentially what that really means, but also the the lines on your CV, the the sort of things that can happen because a thing is DH, the conferences, the speakers that get invited, etc. And then you have the community of DH. And that community is just like anyone who comes to digital humanities and just finds it useful, finds it as a, a way to interact with other people and do work that they find interesting, any sort of methodology or techniques or technology that helps their research or that produces new and interesting research or insights. Um and I think we can do a similar thing for game studies. I think it's pretty obvious that we are a little—you know—we've we've built a sort of little community of game studies here at Vanderbilt. Um, it's not currently—it's—it's it's in certain ways institutionally supported, mm-hmm. um, like by way of actually things like DH. Um, but there isn't currently like a department of game studies. Yeah. And I would just be loath to say no, it's not a thing because there's no institution because no department. But at the same time it would be really nice if there was. And, and I, th- like, I think it is was... decentralized,
1: too. Like, yes. there are lots mm-hmm. of people, as we found out at Haystack, there are a lot of people doing game studies, but all kind of coming at it from different directions. You know, there's no discipline yet. There's no coherent boundaries of or theoretical tools. People are kind of just bringing what their own disciplines bring to, to bear on games.
0: I th- I think there are co- yeah. coherent, uh, dis- I think there is a, a discipline, but I think it's not institutionally bound. Okay, yeah, that's yeah. fair. Yeah. I think I, I would just make that small. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Small You're discipline. right.
1: Yeah.
2: Yeah. I think, and this is going to be a, a radical point, and I'll try and make it as brief as possible, that we can almost think of game studies as something that's kind of happening, as Fred Moten and Stefano Harney might say, in the under comments. Uh, and to continue to riff on Moten to a certain degree, Uh, The fact that the sort of disciplinary boundaries or the kind of direct sets of methodology are somewhat porous. I mean, for example, you know, there's this term game feel. uh, There's a book called Game Feel or the sort of thinking about the feel of games. I actually prefer to use signals terms kinesthetics. Mm. And to a certain degree, that kind of flies in part because there is that sort of openness and it's kind of its refusal, game studies refusal to be a kind of quote unquote proper academic subject <laughs> yeah. like many others that refuse to be proper subjects yeah that kind of i think makes that comparison <laughs> uh worthwhile
0: a lot of valences in that proper subject yeah. there oh yes okay. the refusal of the proper <laughs> <laughs> well we utterly failed to do a one minute answer <laughs> <laughs> i think that was pretty quick though. that was pretty soft kyle yeah. i have a very important question all right sophia wants to know something okay hit me where and how do i get stairs money <laughs>
1: Derek, I I hear this every day in my life. I, <laughs> let me let me tell you every, on the street, people stop me and say, "Hey, Kyle. You I listen to scholars at play. I'm a random person. Uh, of course I do. How do you get stairs money?" And you know, I, I you know what I say to them? What do you say to them? E- Kyle? Every day, you know what I say to them? I say stairs money isn't a thing, you know? It's more of a state of mind, <laughs> right? You just got to inhabit it. <laughs> And then the stairs money comes to you. Yeah,
2: okay. Power of stairs money the thinking. The bare necessities like <laughs> yeah. stairs money will come to you.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's basically will what, what Baloo is talking about in the Jungle Book uh, is stairs money. Uh, yeah, so it's more of a state of mind is how I'd answer that. You know, you just be in there and you'll get it. If you yeah. have to ask, you'll never know. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Oh, Ooh, that's
0: good. <laughs> One last question. All right. This comes in from a different Kate. Yep. Two Kates, and yeah. We we had two Kates submit. Um, what game do you wish you could have helped to create, and why? This is a, this is a
1: broad question, this is a broad one, but an yeah. interesting one. Um, I initially wrote any game before 2016 because then I wouldn't have to be in 2017. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's actually a pretty good good answer. Like I'll work on any crappy game that came out in 2010. Things were fine. I almost want to say Bioshock,
0: yeah, in a certain sense, yeah, because I mean, not because, not only because it's just like become a sort of canonized game, uh, but because there was something interesting happening there, and I feel like I don't know, I, I like at 2007, I wouldn't have had much to contribute there, but I think like if I could just go back in time and be working on that as I am now. Even if I couldn't change the thing, I would actually like to hear the discussions that were going on about how how they're thinking about ideology and how they're putting it to work and whether it's just sort of like, okay, we need the bad guys to just be bad, and so we're just going to pick this one. Or if there was like some really sort of deeper conversations about that. Yeah. I, I, I'm sure those developers have given interviews and talked about just that, but it would have been cool to sort of be present for how... How early that ideology influenced the game design process and and, and to what extent. So that's, yeah. I don't know, that's that's maybe one answer. I think that's a good answer. I yeah. mean, I
1: was thinking for me, my mind just immediately went to my two favorite games of all time, which are Half-Life 2 and The Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time, you know? And so, like, yeah. I think of those, I mean, they were just hugely important for me as a gamer. Like, they're probably the two games I've played literally the most. Um, but I think also, I think they're both pretty seminal games for, like, defining genres, you know? And I bet there was not a sense when they, you're make, they're making that game of them being like, we're defining the genre of <laughs> yeah. RPGs, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, but I think for me, it'd, it'd probably be one of those to just kind of, like, to be in that space where, like, something was really coming together, you know, or, or the product yeah. really kind of became so seminal and definitional yeah. to gaming. Um, yeah. yeah.
0: Any thoughts, Terrell?
2: I would go with the Bioshock series, Um in part, like including the
1: System Shock, like the Shock series. Or? Really? No, oh, yeah. just Bioshock. Yeah. Okay, just okay, Bioshock.
2: okay. Um, echoing some of Derek's remarks on Bioshock, I also have some very interesting thoughts about Bioshock Two um, that maybe we'll have a chance to explore at some point in the future. I also would have liked to have been a part of Bioshock Infinite because maybe it could have been good.
0: Ooh! Wow! Ooh. Shade. Yeah. <sighs> just a little wow. fire. I'm also going to throw
2: end. one other Ooh. side candidate Ooh. in there. Um one day Kyle and I will throw down on Bioshock Infinite. <laughs> yeah, we, we might we actually fight. <laughs> yeah, we got some beef on this, guys. Got to fry it. Got to fry it. <clears throat> Squash it. Um, Mark of the Ninja, uh, huh. which is a pretty good stealth game that came out, I want to say 2013, 2014, maybe 2012. I don't know when it came out. Um, and I would have loved to have been a part about that just because that was when playing that game made me think about the possibilities in the stealth genre, hmm. um, and ways that you know miss the way that we typically think of stealth as just a typically frustrating game, and yeah. it's still kind of in my imagination, you know, thinking about that and dishonored as ways to to rethink the possibilities of stealth to talk about some social dynamics that are pretty yeah. much kind of
1: interesting for my research. That's cool. That's great. Yeah, I mean, I hate, cause I, I, I always say, like, I hate stealth games, you know. But I love Dishonored, you know, I, there, yeah. I think there are some things to like the dynamics that you can break out of the mold of stealth. I mean, right. you, you talk about this so eloquently, I think on the podcast and in person, but yeah, I think it's a great, yeah, that's a great answer. Great. All right. Is that? Is I think that's all the questions that we're going to we answer. We received thousands of questions. We did, guys. of course. This was tens of thousands, but a mere selection. So we had to, we had to, we had to really cull it, you know, to get these. Exactly.
0: Yeah. Um, thank you. Thank you so much to all of our question askers um, for sending in questions to us. Again, if you would like to send us questions about episodes we've done, hot topics we may or may not get to them <laughs> timely. In this case, we got to one of them in a timely manner. Um, you can always send those questions to Scholars at Play podcast at gmail.com um you can find me on twitter at digital
1: underscore derek kyle where can people find you e underscore uh, kyle underscore romero and uh, terrell where can people find you at black socrates (laughs) because
2: i don't believe in putting my name in my
0: twitter (laughs) (laughs) yeah smart um We uh, we want to thank the uh, the Kerb Center for Art, Enterprise, and Public Policy for providing the equipment, time, space, et cetera, for, for making this happen. And, uh, of course, we want to thank Visager for the use of his freely available song, The Plateau at Night. You can check out more of his music in the description. There's a link to that. Thanks and to the Haystack program. Yes, thank um, of course, For yeah. funding this, but yeah. also
1: we had a wonderful time at the conference last week, so yes. we if we did. met you there, if you gave a presentation or came to our presentation, we really appreciate it. Yeah. Uh, yes. It was a really productive space.
0: It was great. We had a really fantastic time, and it, yeah. was, it, was, really, it was really good. Um, that's going to do it for us. We will be back. Um, we will definitely have a sort of game of the year wrap-up uh, episode coming out before... The end of 2017. I'll try to
1: think of another game show. Yeah, for us yeah. To play during, I
0: actually yeah. really enjoyed the game. Yeah, that was <laughs> a lot of fun. I think there's a lot. I think I know I'm salty, bad. but like, you know, it was, good. Guys. it was good. It was good. It was good. All right, please, please like and
1: subscribe. Yeah, like, yes. yeah, 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 like, <laughs> check it out. SoundCloud, iTunes. We're um, gonna iTunes. Get yeah. on
0: Stitcher. Um, that's something I yeah. want. to we're gonna, get we're gonna put my the feed list, on the Stitcher. But.
1: Uh, but yeah, if you could go on iTunes and just like and subscribe, it just helps us know. Who's listening? What's, what's listening? And we just want that Squarespace money. So <laughs> Blue Apron, ma- y'all. Yeah, it seems like I dollar really dollar just want Squarespace money. I just want to get free Blue Aprons. Male yeah, Chimp. Aprons really <laughs> I don't really, a monkey. <laughs> I don't want free male chimps. But I want so much male chimp. I want them to mail me a chimp. Yeah, I do not want a chimp. <laughs> That's how it works. Chimpanzees yeah, um, are really scary, works. dude. But
2: for real, also They're keep strong. your eyes. <laughs>
1: like like orangutans too. They can like rip your hair. Grown
2: orangutans are the most scary thing in the world. They can bend
1: steel bars. You can't even imprison them. There's also very disturbing
2: things about their reproductive habits. This is Monkey Podcast hitting you. (laughs) But check us out for more monkey business uh, (laughs) at scholars (laughs) at play.net. Beautiful.
0: All right. See you guys later. Thanks, guys. Peace.